Good morning, Redbridge Radio. Thank you very much for tuning in this morning. I hope you've enjoyed the last uh, two weeks of broadcasts. Uh, my aim is to really bring transactionalysis theory and practice to, to you. Um, at the moment during the pandemic, it's not possible for TA East to go out into the community. So in the past, we've delivered um, listening posts in libraries and um, taster sessions and panel discussions. And our aim really is to go out into the community and reach into the community. This is for a few reasons. We, we want to make counselling and psychotherapy much more accessible and much more inclusive. Uh, counselling and psychotherapy does and can be quite a, an exclusive profession. And also it's very difficult often for people to access counselling and psychotherapy through public services, through NHS, uh, because of scarce resources and because a lot of the profession is privatised. So we really at TA East are really wanting to really find ways of putting out transactionalysis therapeutic ideas um, and experiences um, which is access free uh, through psychoeducation um, groups and through self-help groups. Uh, we currently have a, a group in Redbridge which is uh, alongside Redbridge Forum which is working with carers who have who support children along the spectrum, children with um, diverse needs and uh, we're also looking into running other groups. Uh, we're very conscious at the moment of, obviously, that many people are struggling, um, that we're all in this pandemic, uh, that it's been going on for a year now, and that people in this, I think now, third lockdown are really struggling. Um, those that are having to be out there every day, uh, really those frontline workers in shops and um, in factories and uh, obviously in the NHS and also those that are having to uh, work alongside children at home. We've, we've got many children right now and young people who are really struggling uh, because their, their lives have changed profoundly over the course of the last year. Um, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist, as you know, but I'm also a, a mother and um, um, certainly my children, I can see over the course of the last year, uh, the changes in them. And um, I'm hearing from lots of parents about the, yeah, the, the, the children, children who are in many ways, I guess, regressing in terms of their development. Um, so in terms of their, I guess, view of the world and their optimism of the world and the strategies they have um, to take care of themselves. And, and this is happening, of course, in adults as well. As psychotherapists, we're obviously experiencing a lot of anxiety. Um, we're experiencing low-level depression. And, and I think, and, and also, obviously, for some people, much more chronic depression. Um, I think that also what I'm noticing, of course, that what's very different is usually counsellors and psychotherapists and other supporting, caring professionals are not in the same uh, situation as their clients. And of course, right now, whether we are the people who are, are 
I guess holding others or whether we're we're seeking to be supported, we're all experiencing this in different ways. And of course, I absolutely appreciate that for some people there are there's privilege. Some people have more privilege than others, and there are particular groups of people right now uh, in our community that are struggling more. Those who are are really challenged financially right now, those who've lost their jobs, those who um, who are discriminated against. Um, and, and we're finding in lots of the publications that are coming out from the government right now um, that there are it's the minority groups that are really struggling at this time um, because of the um, discrimination that we, we're all aware of. So I, I'm thinking that how do I and how do we at TAE support you right now? And maybe some of it is about being taken away from your experience. So listening to the radio um, can really help transport us to a different place. I also think that the pandemic has caused all of us to have to stop. Well, having said that, I'm reminded that some people, again, haven't had that privilege. But even those that have carried on during the pandemic being on the front line, I think what I mean by causing us to stop is to maybe stop and to think about what is meaningful. Because ultimately, all as we do have in life is meaning. And again, you know, for many people, life is about survival. And maybe to think about meaning is beyond that. But I think for many of us, we've had to start to think about, particularly with the pandemic and and also the environmental crisis, and maybe all the extreme politics that have been going on in the world over the last couple of years and Brexit really stop us in our tracks to really think about what is meaningful. What 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 do I want in my life? Maybe what can I have in my life? And and to I, I think particularly during this pandemic, I mean, some people have been firefighting and I think some people would argue, gosh, you know, I haven't had, I haven't had any time to think or feel during this time. And then others who've been furloughed or have, you know, um, lost their jobs or businesses have collapsed. Maybe it's been a time of crisis and reflection in terms of what, what, what can I have now? Uh, and uh, I'm finding certainly that more people are turning to training to be counsellors and psychotherapists because ultimately that is about meaning. What we do every day as counsellors and psychotherapists is we sit with people making sense of their world. We sit with people finding meaning in their lives. You know, so often people come in and they want they want change in their lives at a very behavioural level and, and that's completely understandable. They want to feel less pain. Um, that they, they want to feel more content. But I think ultimately it's about meaning. How do we how can we make sense of our lives? And I think ultimately it's about love. Uh, we don't hear love equated a lot to psychotherapy and to counselling. Often we hear about CBT and uh, quick intervention and change. But I think really, ultimately, it's about the quality of relationship that people want to be seen and heard and understood and loved. And I can hear some of you saying, gosh, you know, that's not what I want or what are you talking about? Or, But ultimately, 
I think that if we really allow ourselves to really know, it's about being seen, it's about connection, it's about about love. And, and I think as psychotherapists, people come to see us and often they, many times they don't love themselves and also they really struggle in the world to receive from the other, um, to be met by the other. And often the work with a psychotherapist is about an intimate relationship. It's about allowing the therapist to see you, to be for you, to walk with you. So this moves me on to thinking about another piece of theory. So, so my aim this week is to, to bring to you different theory. Um, well, every week, in fact, it is to bring an element of theory to you. Uh, and this week, I'm going to focus on the theory of strokes. Now, in transaction analysis, you'll discover as the weeks go by that we we have lots of ways of describing aspects of the self. And this is an unusual one because I don't mean stroke in the formal way. Strokes in terms of what Eric Byrne described as a unit of recognition. He said that we come into the world and we need to be recognised. We need to know that we exist. So the baby who comes into the world thrives through being touched, through being held, through being stroked. There was a piece of research, um, which wouldn't be ethical now, uh, back in the 50s, that um, taught, that was a piece of research in orphanages uh, in Romania. And um, it was really a piece of research that uh, looked at different settings uh, where children were um, held um, so they were you know they were fed and they were safe and they were held and then there were other settings where children were fed and they were safe but they weren't held and touched and stroked in the way that we we touch and stroke our babies and the research concluded that that the children who were touched and held and stroked thrived and that those that didn't, uh, it had a very serious impact on them. Now, many of you will know that already, and uh, I think there's uh, uh, there are books, aren't there, about the development of the brain is very much about love and about being uh, in relationship and having intimacy. And of course, with babies, they get lots of physical contact. And if you think about the, the, the hospitals, it was some years ago that they discovered the importance of, of the baby experiencing the skin-to-skin contact as soon as they were born. And and, and I, I can recall with my own daughter that whenever she was touched, even as a toddler, she would almost melt in my arms. So this sense of we really do need to have that contact and and then what Burns says, so he called that a unit of recognition, a stroke. So you can understand now, touch, a stroke, being stroked, the infant. Now what he said, that as we get older, in order to feel recognised and to feel that we exist in the world, that we need to substitute those physical strokes of touch for other strokes So he then described a unit of recognition as not just the physical, but as a frown, as a smile, as a a verbal communication, that we all need to know that we exist. 
and that we can receive all different kinds of strokes. So we can receive positive strokes, negative strokes, conditional strokes, unconditional strokes, strokes that, that, know, that make us know that we are alive. And you will know yourself when somebody is shouting at you, you know you're alive. When you have a difficult exchange with somebody, you know you're alive. When you feel verbally attacked, you know when you're alive. When somebody smiles at you, you feel affected, you maybe smile back. When you walk out on the street between here and the high street or get on the bus, you're aware of others, whether that be negative or positive or verbal or non-verbal. Now, the reason I'm bringing strokes to you today is because I think that we, in many ways right now, many of us are stroke deprived. Now, some people are overstimulated because they're on the front line and they're receiving an absolute, well, almost overwhelm of strokes. But at the same time, those strokes, so I'm thinking maybe those working that have been working on the front line in the NHS, uh, and particularly people who've been working in the acute end of, of COVID wards and um, who will really have been receiving many, many strokes, but that very intense and quite possibly we could argue negative in that, in that you know, the, the trauma that may be being experienced in all of that, as well as the positive strokes of, of seeing people get better. Now, there are other people who are completely stroke deprived right now. So you've got uh, the elderly who are in homes right now, who've not seen their relatives for a very long time and may be receiving a minimum of strokes from their caregivers in the homes that are also stroke deprived. Then you've got families who are not seeing, haven't seen their um, their siblings, their, their parents, uh, for a very long time or maybe they're seeing them through uh, a window or maybe they're seeing them at the front door for uh, an occasional meeting they also will be feeling stroke deprived because as Burns said in order to feel that we are recognized to thrive in the world we need to experience strokes and I think that even those that are right now maybe furloughed or in their homes, have more space, there's still a stroke deprivation in terms of the limits that we can go out into the world. Some of you will see, you know, the, the, the takeaways, the, the cues um, uh, for coffee, uh, the, the, the full parks, uh, the beaches. Um, and can see that people are searching right now for connection and for strokes. And, and, and I think there's a real limit right now of, of how we can find strokes um, and how we can keep, because we need strokes to, to also to replenish and to also top ourselves up. And I guess that many of us uh, might be right now, whether um, working in outdoor settings, uh, what I mean frontline, or whether in the home, that the strokes are certainly uh, from work. Um, I, I notice in myself that obviously as a psychotherapist, my, my work has increased phenomenally. <clears throat> And um, right now I could be on Zoom calls uh, 24-7 and, and, you know, the, it's very different to being in the room with people. 
and 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 obviously getting strokes from work is not health it's not healthy and then when I'm sitting with my family there's often a not a lot to say uh, because my children have been on zoom all day uh, my partner's been on Zoom all day, and here we are sitting down, having a meal, which, you know, is great, but what is there to say? We've had very little interaction with others. We've had very little strokes outside our family. How do we keep strokes going when there's very little coming in from outside? And one of the things that that Burns said is often we will revert to negative stroking before positive stroking. So often, you know, people really seek some intimacy, but they have an argument instead. So they feel stroked. They know they're, they're alive. They know they're, they exist, but they end up feeling bad. So what Burns said is he said we, there are positive, negative, conditional and unconditional strokes. And we can put those together in different configurations. So if I think of an unconditional positive stroke, then it, 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 it's, a, it's a generous stroke. It's a, it's I love you. Maybe I don't mean generous. Maybe I mean it's just, it's unconditional. I love you. And it's not based on any condition. So a positive unconditional stroke would be something like I love that top you're wearing or your hair looks nice today or you look great so it's based on something that is conditional but we probably still do feel great then there is the negative strokes which also we I'm going to talk in a little while about stroking patterns about how we get used to particular ways of, of, of asking for strokes and receiving strokes. But a, a pure, unconditional negative stroke really is I hate you. And it's racism and it's discrimination and it's those projections that we put out on others which are completely unconditional because they're based on our perception, not on the reality. Then there are negative conditional strokes. We could say, of course, this is needed. This is healthy criticism. This is constructive criticism. It might be something like, um, I, I, I feel angry because you're not pulling your weight around the home. Or I feel disappointed that you didn't meet me when uh, we arranged to. Now, all these are strokes. And Byrne would say that strokes are every aspect of interaction with the other. So, you know, they are smiles, they are rituals, hello, goodbye. They are uh, exchanges, they are exchanges on the bus, at the bus stop. They are uh, the look, the, the, we, the changes of glances between people. Uh, they are social interactions as well as intimate interactions. Now, one of the things that Burns said is that in families, uh, we learn our stroke patterns. We learn what strokes are acceptable and what strokes aren't acceptable. So in families, some families, there'll be plentiful positive strokes. So lots of giving children permission and positive affirmation. In other families, there'll be an absolute array of negative stroking. 
And that's probably the way that the parent or the caregiver experienced growing up themselves. Also, within different cultures, there is positive stroking and there is negative stroking. So for some cultures, it is maybe more of a kind of optimistic, sort of very positive, open, intimate culture. And other cultures, it might be much more parental, perhaps, and critical. And in families, we have this too. And in families, we often behave as if negative strokes are something that we have to hold on to, as if they're in short supply. And maybe sometimes positive strokes are easier um, to hold back than the negative strokes. Um, you can already see that that how we, uh, I'm thinking back to ego states, that how this is not necessarily this, the reality. The world could be plentiful in terms of giving positive strokes. We have um, days like Act of Kindness Day, and, and we often see on people's social media, be kind. Uh, uh, and I guess sometimes it, it's quite um, a challenge to look out to the other, and even to ourselves, uh, when we're, we're struggling in the world. So we can also give ourselves strokes, uh, and what I notice often is people's reluctance to to give themselves strokes, to think about how they self-stroke in, in a positive in a positive way. So I, I'm thinking about now about what we call a stroke filter. Uh, how many of you have been given a compliment, which we would call a positive stroke by somebody, and you reject it? So you look great today. Oh, well, I feel tired. Or you did that really well. But then you, so the, the other person says, you know, you did that really well, that presentation or, or, or whatever it might be. And you say, yeah, but there was a bit when I got mixed up. Um, and so you reject the positive stroke. Yet how many of us are very good at taking in the negative strokes? So somebody makes a criticism of us and we take it in and right to the heart. So what Byrne said would say is that we have a stroke filter. So we accept strokes that we don't want. We don't reject strokes that we don't want. We perhaps don't ask for strokes. We don't give ourselves strokes. And, and, and I think that we have this stroke filter again, back to thinking last week about script, that we live by this as if this is the way we have to live. So I, I'm really inviting you today to consider what strokes do you receive? You could reflect on the last 24 hours. What strokes have you received? Are you stroke deprived? Are you feeling lonely right now? What would it be like to give yourself a stroke? Now, giving yourself a stroke might be allowing yourself to reach out to somebody or maybe talk, taking a walk down the, the road and, and exchanging with others. Maybe, you know, even just having the recognition of another is a stroke. Or maybe picking up the telephone or, or having a call with somebody would really make that difference. Some of you, as I've said, are going to be having 
an overwhelm of strokes right now and many of those are going to be negative and you might be living in fear about going in wo- out to work um, although you know we, we we've got the vaccine right now and there's more optimism but still people are really having to to risk by going out into the world so how may you think about protecting yourself more that would be a positive stroke now i've got a story to tell Uh, as you will recall last week uh, i told you a poem but this story has always really stayed with me to really help uh, think about strokes and it's a children's story and it it was written by uh, claude steiner um i think back in the 60s and it was a way of really wanting to really um bring the understanding of strokes alive as i've told you that um transaction analysis is a a social uh, psychology and it really is about making uh, psychotherapy theory accessible so it's not this medical analytical jargon it's accessible to everybody So I'm going to give you a summary of this story rather than read it to you. But he talked about a land many years ago that was plentiful of positive strokes, that people came into the world and there was an absolute abundance of positive strokes. And in this land of plenty, they called these strokes warm fuzzes. And when children were born, they were given absolutely hundreds and thousands of warm fuzzes to give to themselves and to give to each other. So a warm fuzzy to self would be, I love myself. I want to take care of myself. I'm going to go and let myself feel the sun today. I'm going to take some time out. I'm going to look after myself by looking after my health. I'm going to let my friend know that I care about them. I'm going to I'm going to write them a card. I'm going to turn up on their doorstep and say hello. I'm going to smile at a stranger. So all of these are what we would call positive strokes. So this land was plentiful. It was happy. It was a culture of giving. It was a culture of kindness. It was a culture of tenderness. It was a culture of love. It was a culture of equity. It was it was a land of plentiful. It was thriving. Then because this is a fairy tale, one day, far away, now This is a stereotype, so stay with me, hold on there. A witch, or indeed we could say a wizard, who wasn't feeling very positively stroked, decided that she didn't like, or he didn't like, this plentiful land of of joy and hope and aspiration and uh, healthy stroking. So this witch decided that she, and I'm going to go with the original version, was going to go to this land and start to tell some people that these warm fuzzies were in short supply and that if they kept using them, they would run out of them. So she went off and she, she started with the children and she said to them, do you know that if you keep giving these warm fuzzies that you have in your basket, you're going to run out. And word spread amongst this land 
and people started to be much more cautious about giving themselves a warm fuzzy and indeed giving a warm fuzzy to anybody else. People started to feel unhappy, stroke deprived, lonely, isolated because people were withholding their warm fuzzies for themselves and at times were even withholding them towards themselves and just like the babies in the orphanage they stopped thriving they stopped going out into the sun so then the witch had another idea because her plan was all about her wanting her envy and her lack of being able to tolerate this plentiful world and this plentiful land, and also her own pain. So she went back to the children that she'd originally told them that these warm fuzzies were in short supply, and she said, I've got an idea. I'm going to give you some strokes or some cold pricklies, some negative strokes. She didn't describe them as that. She said, I've got something that will help. These are cold pricklies and they're plentiful. So she started to go out into this land, into the villages and sold these cold pricklies. So people started to collect because they were feeling so deprived that they collected these cold pricklies and they forgot that actually the warm fuzzies were plentiful anyway and they didn't need the cold pricklies. But it was a way of surviving and they started to give out the cold pricklies to each other instead of the warm fuzzes. Now, that's a fairy tale. It's a story that was written uh, a very long time ago, but it tells us about stroke economy and stroke filters in our families and that it shows us how, how out of reality that all is. So... I, I ask you to, to look at your stroke filter. What strokes do you ask for? What strokes do you invite? What strokes do you reject? What strokes do you give to yourself? And indeed, what strokes are you going to allow yourself today? Thank you very much for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.